to uh, pray as we do, but um, Brother Dale talked to Bob Hooker, and we need to have special prayer for him. So uh, share with us what all he said. He was upbeat, but Bob asked that we uh, pray for him, that he won't get discouraged. He's still in a lockdown at their assisted living center. And he said as they watched the TV yesterday and saw stadiums filled with people, it's hard for them to understand why they can't go to church. But right after that, he said, but the people here are not trying to hurt us. And he said, I'm doing my best to encourage everyone and to go along with what is needed. He said, we just need your prayers. Then he also added, he does a 2 o'clock Sunday service, and he also does a service on Wednesday, Wednesday nights. Night, he does a Bible study on Wednesday nights where he's teaching the Word of God and encouraging folks. He asks that we pray for him for that. So that's 2 o'clock today he'll be leading a service. Okay. Now think about, you can go ahead and be seated. Think about what you learned in Sunday school today. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially the household of faith. So here's an opportunity for you to pray for this brother. And he's not the only one. Let's, let's pray for one another. People that are suffering, people that are sick, people that are struggling, people that are just sad, let's pray for them. But here's an opportunity to do good and to pray for him. And if there's any further ministry you can do, just, just do it. You say, well, I'm not sure he needs it. That's irrelevant, really. He does need the encouragement. And uh, there are other people who need it as well. So uh, please, please do that. And then just think, as we live in the world under the circumstances we do, there's a lot that Brother Bob cannot do. Okay? Just face that. There's a lot he cannot do where he is and in his situation. But you know what blesses me? He's holding a service this afternoon because he can do what he can do. There's an opportunity. That's an example for you. That's an example for me. There are a lot of things in this world that we cannot do. But what can you do? As God gives you the opportunity and the resources and the time and the availability for that, do something, no matter what it is. Just do it so that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Okay, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Lord, as we think about anybody who's struggling, I guess every one of us would have to say, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. We all have our struggles. We struggle against sin. We struggle and wrestle against principalities and powers. And um, we think about all of the things that we are affected by that maybe are not directly on us, but because we're close to someone, we bear their sorrow, their grief. We, bury their pro we uh, bear their problems, and it affects us. And then, Lord, we are just living in a world that, uh, in spite of all of the things we see that we would identify as bad and evil, there's also a lot of sadness in the world today. People that are in the hospital, people that are suffering, people that have lost loved ones, people that have lost jobs, people that have had financial reverses. I'm, we could go on and on and on, and they include us. And we want to pray, Lord, that as we have opportunity that we could do good to all men, but especially the household of faith. And I pray your spirit would move upon us so that every need we have in the body would be met, whatever the need may be. 
And I pray, Father, that you would let us be attentive and let us be submissive, let us be motivated, and let us be generous in everything that we do because we do it for the people but unto the Lord. And help us never, ever forget that. For the people but unto the Lord. And so, Lord, now we dedicate the rest of this service to you as well as that first part. May we preach unto you for the people. And may the people listen to your word for your glory unto you, but also for a way that they might be able to grow and learn and minister to others as well. Speak, Lord. We're listening. And give us ears to hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you would take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the uh, book of Exodus. And uh, we'll be in chapter 29, of course. And this is just uh, the part of it that I read and I go, oh, that's going to be really fun to preach. And we're going to talk about slaughtering a cow. So if you would go ahead and uh, we're still in the ordination of Aaron. And uh, we want to uh, look at that and see, is there anything we can learn from it? And in order to learn from it, we kind of have to understand it first. And so we're looking at these things. And um, there's not really much to miss if you go back and say, well, what did Moses mean when he wrote this? You always want to study scripture through the eyes of the author. What did the writer intend to say what was his point what was he getting across and then you uh, always want to go to and what did the original audience understand about this so if I'm reading in Philippians I don't immediately jump to what does this mean to me and how does this make me feel I think about this what did Paul mean what was he intending to do when he wrote to the Philippians and then I would say, and what did the Philippians, what did they understand it to mean? And so then I get to know it. Then I can make application. So we've got to know what it means. When you get to Exodus, the 29th chapter, it is really pretty clear. And we'll be looking beginning in verse 10. Uh, it's just a straightforward thing about a sacrifice that the Lord required. Let's read it. You shall also... Have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. And that was kind of, as we'll see, in confession of their own sin and transferring it from them to the bull. And uh, verse 11, Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the, by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And it's as if God is saying there, even the holy things, if they're made by man, are tainted somehow by sin. And pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. It has to be consecrated as well. Verse uh, 13. And you shall take all of the fat. This will bless you. You ready for lunch? Take all of the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull, with all of its skin 
And it's, my translation says awful. That would be awful. Um, but the uh, dung, the stomach contents, all of that kind of stuff. You shall burn with fire outside the camp. Why do we have to take that outside the camp? He tells us it is a sin offering. Now that last phrase is the thing that makes all of this come together for all of us. New Testament as well as Old Testament believers. Now, we don't offer bulls, and we're not going through a ritual like this, and we're not going to do this at the door of the church or any of those kind of things, because everything that we find in here, in this ceremonial part of the law, it all points to Christ, who is our perfect sacrifice, and we don't need the symbol. All of this was a symbol for uh, people to see and to understand some things and also to look forward to the coming of the Messiah who would be the ultimate sacrifice. So here are some things, some observations that I've made that I think that you and I as New Testament believers need to know and see and understand as well as these are the things that even these Old Testament believers would have understood. And so the first thing, when we read about this, I kind of jokingly said, are you ready for lunch? But can you imagine actually witnessing this? Can you imagine even worse being one of the priests that had to deal with the blood of an animal like a bull? That's kind of gross. A lot of us don't even like human blood, even our own blood. Uh, I have to do labs a lot and they always say, okay, are you ready for this? And then they stick my arm and they go, are you okay? And, uh, you know, if you ask them, they'll say, well, some people don't like the sight of a needle going into their arm. And some people don't like the sight of their own blood. Well, if you don't like the sight of your blood, what are you going to do when you see somebody else bleeding? And if you don't like the sight of blood, can you imagine what it must have been like? This is a bloody sacrifice, a bloody sacrifice. Can you imagine what it must be like to burn an animal like that? The Lord says it's sweet-smelling to him, but I doubt it was sweet-smelling to anybody else. Uh, that's not a pleasant thing. Can you imagine when it describes the insides of the bull and the fat and the kidneys and all of that kind of stuff that has to be removed and it has to be handled and can you imagine all of the stuff that had to be taken and carted outside of the camp to be burned out there? This is gross. This is disgusting. This is something that is not a normal thing that we would want to do. This isn't like getting popcorn at the movies or cotton candy at the fair. This is something that is very serious, and it is also something that is repulsive. Why would God do such a thing? Now, liberals have rejected this. There was a Baptist preacher in the 1920s that said we need to get rid of this, um, how did he put it, bloody butcher shop religion. Uh, is that what we're doing here? Others have said we need to unhitch from the Old Testament, and I think that's entirely wrong. What is the point of God doing this? And I think that the first thing we need to learn is as repulsive as the ritual might be, our sin is even more repulsive to God. And we don't see it that way. We think it's no big deal. We think that it really doesn't matter. After all, it only affects me. 
is something that I keep inside. Or we say about somebody else, well, they deserved it. I'm not going to hold back. They deserved it. And uh, we think that maybe nobody else sees what we do and we forget about the all-seeing, ever-present God. And we could go on and on and on and on with those things that we know that are wrong and yet we do them anyway. What does God see when we look and say, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, it's just a little thing. Oh, it didn't hurt anybody. God is absolutely repulsed by sin. And when you look at the sacrifices in the Old Testament and everything that God had the priest and the people do, and we think about that and we go, good night, why is it so gruesome? Because it doesn't even touch your mildest sins to see how God really sees them. He is a holy God who is absolutely, totally repulsed by sin. The Bible says he has eyes purer than to look upon iniquity. Have you ever seen anything that when you looked at it, you had to turn away? That's what God sees about your gossip. That's what God says about your slander. That's what God says about your pride. That's what God says about your habits. That's what God says about your sexual sin. That's what God says about your lies. That's what God says. We can go on and on and on and on. And these sacrifices are to teach us the repulsion that a holy God has for sin. Solomon wrote later in uh, Proverbs 6, 16, There are six things that the Lord hates and seven that are an abomination to him. Now, I have heard people say when they talk about the sin of homosexuality, and it indeed is a sin and a, and a perversion. Okay, Be clear about that. But they say, it's different, it's an abomination. I even had a pastor that taught that homosexuals could not be saved because what they did was an abomination. Well, Solomon is telling us here, seven are abomination to him. Now, if you didn't know these verses, what would you name? You might name adultery, sexual sin, some kind of perversion, drug abuse, maybe we go on and on. Well, let's hear what these abominations are. Haughty eyes. Have you ever been proud? You've committed an abomination unto the Lord. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Any liars in here? Anybody want to raise their hand and admit to that? If you don't raise your hand, then you're committing this, aren't you? A lying tongue. Pride in the lying tongue. Are they, we've just read enough to indict every person in the room. Every person in the room with God's top seven list of sins that he hates. And it's so easy for us to look out in the world and say, look what they are doing. Oh, what is this world coming to? Well, here's a problem. Look what we've come to. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Think about America's abortion problem. A heart that devises wicked plans. You know, it's amazing how our culture and our society, they can think of nastiness, wickedness, and perversions that you would never think of. But then you get on the internet and you get exposed to it and you had never thought of that before. Well, somebody imagined it. Somebody put it together. And we have problems with our minds and keeping our mind under control. And God says he hates a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. 
You know, everybody's living for the weekend. Why? Because, man, I'm going to go and I'm going to get drunk and I'm going to have a great time. It just seems like we rush towards sin. We can't wait to get there. God says, that's an abomination. A false witness who breathes out lies. Well, we can really see that in the politicians, can't we? We can see that in other people. But do we see it in ourselves? God hates that with a special hatred. He hates all sin, but the abomination category is a stronger category of hate. And one who sows discord among brothers. That happens in church almost every week and almost in every church. I'm sure there are some exceptions. Those people that can't wait to spread something about somebody else. Those people that can't wait to share the sin or the problem of somebody else. The person that can't wait to share a word of criticism against leadership. That person that cannot wait to poison somebody else. God says, that I didn't even read homosexuality in here. So could it be this morning that while we look with disdain on sexual perversion, could it be that those of us who are the straightest, should we say, those of us who are the most moral, would find our names written in this list of abominations to see that God would put us, apart from Christ, in the same category as all of these people that we think are tearing the country apart and pulling our country down. Maybe it's time for judgment to begin in the house of God and we need to quit pointing our fingers out there. Maybe it's us. Maybe the problem in America is not them, it's us. Maybe the problem with the government that we have that we all say is so corrupt, maybe the problem is we're getting what we deserve because as the people of God, we know better and we have the Word of God and we have the Spirit of God. They don't. They're just acting upon what they're doing, not saying it's right, not condoning it. I'm just saying that they can't help it, but you can. You have the Spirit of God. You have the Word of God. And you have thousands of years of history of believers that you can read and grow and glean from. And it's amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that we, as the blood-bought, blood-washed children of God, do not see our sin as repulsive. And God says, this is the deal. I am serious about sin. That's why I made those people in the Old Testament do this gruesome stuff. And if I were not serious about sin, I for sure would never have sent my son to be butchered on a cross. You think of something as being gruesome? gruesome? Killing a cow wouldn't even come close to what you would have witnessed if you had seen the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God the Father did that because of his hatred for sin. Would to God that you and I would even have just a glimmer of his hatred for sin about our own sin in our own lives. That's where it's got to begin. That's the first thing we learn. Secondly, you remember when we went through all of the impressive, beautiful garments that Aaron would wear. Oh, he must have been somebody when you're walking around like that dressed 
in the high priest's garb. And when people would see him as he was getting ready to go into the Holy of Holies, the turban on his head, the plate that said, Holy is the Lord. As they would see the onyx stones on his shoulders with the sons of Jacob written on them. As they would see the breastplate with those jewels and the names of the tribes of Israel, that white robe that he wore, all of that, can you imagine? That's not what you wore normally. That's, what not a, that's not what a common person would wear. But oh, the high priest would wear that. What do we learn from this sacrifice of this bull? Number two would be this. The insufficiency of an impressive covering. You can put whatever you want on Aaron, and Aaron still needs a sacrifice for sin. It's putting lipstick on a pig, as they used to say. It is putting a covering on something that is filthy and dirty. Aaron has a problem, and it's not his clothes, so his clothes can't fix it. His problem is the sin that is in his own heart. The Bible says, when uh, Samuel was looking for a king, do not look on his appearance on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, the high priestly garments, those kind of things. But the Lord looks on the heart. So when you look at Aaron, you see that his sin was on the inside. This man that was so impressive, don't forget, he's the guy that made the golden calf later on. That's a problem. That's a sin. Think about Aaron. He's the guy who at one point, he and Miriam, they rebelled against Moses' authority and leadership. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, remember? And Aaron did that. You think about Aaron, he even had problems with his family because he passed his sin nature on to his sons. And in Numbers chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, it says that Aaron's sons two of them anyway, they went and they offered what is called in the King James strange fire on the Holy of Holies. You know what they did? They rebelled against God and they were unauthorized to be there and they were unauthorized to do what they were supposed to do and yet they did it anyway. And it's amazing. Aaron's rebellion looked one way toward Moses but his son's rebellion looked another way, and it was toward God. And what did God do to those two sons of Aaron? He took their life. God takes sin seriously. And I'm going to guess that Aaron's sons had on priestly garments when they offered that strange fire that God abhorred. You see, it doesn't matter so much what we do on the outside if... And notice I said if. It doesn't matter so much what we do on the outside, how we present ourselves, if our hearts are impure. But if our hearts are pure, then what is on the outside matters because it glorifies and honors the Lord. So God is serious and repulsed by sin, and we do not solve our sin problem by simply, simply acting better or putting on the right clothes or doing the right actions or by good manners or anything like that. That doesn't solve the problem of the heart. Didn't do it for Aaron, and it certainly won't do it for you. The third thing that I noticed 
is the crisis of casual listening. Now, one of the things that you do as you read this chapter, and there's some others in here, uh, it strikes me, how did they remember to do everything? Good night. You, you build the tabernacle and God tells you in detail how to build it. You're making clothes for the high priest and God says in detail how he wants it. You offer a sacrifice and God says in detail how it must be offered. You miss one thing, it's nullified. You do one thing wrong, it may cost you your life like it did for Aaron's sons, right? I mean, you think about all of that and I don't know about you, fearing the Lord would not be a big problem. I'd be scared to death all the time. What am I doing? What am I not doing? What did I forget? I don't know about you, but if I go, if Sammy sends me to the grocery store for four things, it's guaranteed there's one of them that's not even going to enter my mind until I get home. Where are the, the beans? What beans? That was on the list. Ah, and, and I thought I could remember it. Uh, we're just like that. Can you imagine dealing with stuff like this that is holy? Can you imagine dealing with stuff like this that comes from God? Oh, well, they just opened up their Bibles. Eh, news alert, they didn't have a Bible. These things are written down by Moses, and Moses says it to them, and they have to listen, and they have to obey it, and they have to get it right. You know what that's going to take? A real intense listening. And I want to tell you something with us today, we're not very good listeners. We don't really pay all that much attention because we really don't think it matters all that much. But if I had a nickel for every man in particular that comes to me, and they come and they say, I've got this problem, you've got to show me what the Bible says about it so I can fix it. And sometimes they come and ask that question when it can't be fixed. And sometimes I remember a case where a man came to me and he's asking me about something that I had just preached in the last Sunday or two. Had he been listening, he would have known. But he didn't think I was any big deal. And he didn't think what I was saying was any big deal. And he didn't think what the Bible says was any big deal until he deemed it necessary, until he thought he needed it. And if you're living the kind of life and have the kind of Christian, Christianity that is for emergency use only, it's only real whenever you need it, you may not even be saved, number one. And if you are, you're a pretty immature believer. You've got to be a careful listener to the Word of God. The Bible tells us that uh, this is what God has said in uh, other places. James 1.22 But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Well, if you don't hear it intently, you're not going to know what to do. And a lot of people are not doers of the word because they're not really hearing the word. Not in the way that they should. They're casual listeners. In the book of Judges 21.25 In those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I mean, you can't do right if you don't know to do right. And uh, if you, everybody's just doing what they think they ought to do, boy, that's just a mess. We've got to carefully listen to the Word of God, and whatever He says is what goes. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, see if this doesn't describe us and our culture. Woe to those who call good evil and evil good, who put... Darkness for light and light for darkness. 
who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. You know, I'm so sick of hearing people tell me to follow the science. Follow the science. Follow the science. Follow the science. These people don't even know where to go to the bathroom for crying out loud. You know what I want to say to them? I can solve it. Follow the science. Take a DNA test and whatever it says, go to the appropriate restroom. That takes care of it, does it not? And yet they are so wise, but wise in their own eyes. And I think about what Paul said, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. Say, I don't think you can say that in church. You can once. You can once. Right? And so I look at all of this and go, this is the culture that we live in. Why? I don't understand why some of the people in this present administration, including Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and people like that, they are the ones who say, I am a devout Catholic, and they are so pro-abortion. How do you do that? It's because their rituals mean little or nothing to them. But before you say amen to that, ask yourself the same question. Are you the same way when it comes to church? Are you the same way when it comes to walking with God? Are you the same way with your own personal morality? Are you the same way when it comes to what the Word of God says? You say amen to it, you nod at it, you smile at it, and you say that's right, and then you violate it before you get home. Folks, we've got to get serious about what we do. This is one of the things we are to learn. God was serious about this. And all of the people who were doing this are supposed to be serious about it as well. And you can read the rest of those verses in Isaiah. We also learn from this that the best among us are not any better than us. Aaron is chosen here to be the high priest. Let's ask everybody, all of those two million Israelis, who do you think is the best person among you? Well, let's go first of all would probably be Moses. Well, depending on when you catch him. Because these same people that might have said, Yay, Moses, our deliverer, were the same ones that wanted to stone him. They were the same ones that said, Why have you brought us out here just to die? What kind of person are you anyway? But I think maybe consistently in the poll of the most admired man, you might find it to be Aaron. Aaron. What does Aaron do? Everything he's supposed to do, with very few exceptions. What does Aaron do? Oh, he's so impressive in those garments. And he goes into the Holy of Holies. He goes in there where I would die. And yet Aaron doesn't die when he goes into the Holy of Holies. Man, that Aaron is something. And we do that all the time with preachers. We have our favorite preacher. Oh, they could not do anything wrong. And instead of finding out what the Word of God says about an issue, we want to know what man says about it. And if they say it's okay, we are great with it, right? That's not Christianity. That's not what is taught in the Word of God. We turn around and we look and we make celebrities out of pastors. The word, when you think of an oxymoron, I used to ask my dad, retired colonel, what's an oxymoron? And he said, military intelligence. Right? You know what an oxymoron is? Celebrity pastor. A pastor is supposed to be a servant not a celebrity. 
And yet so many times we take these people that are just narcissists in the flesh and self-promoters, and we take them and make them into gods. We make them into gurus. We make them into something that they're not. And then when they topple and fall then we want to give up on Christianity. Folks, it wasn't Christianity's fault, and it wasn't Christ's fault. It was your fault for putting a man on a pedestal and worshiping him and his word like an idol. Respect the pastor, sure, but you were never to make him into your God or your guru or your Christ or anything like that. You walk with the Lord. And so when we look at this, the best among us are not any better. It took the blood of a bull for Aaron to be qualified to go into the Holy of Holies. Why? Because he was a sinner like all the rest of them. And while he may have acted better, and may have appeared better, and may have dressed better, he wasn't any better. Because all of us are in the same shape when it comes to our relationship with God. Without a blood sacrifice, the best of us die and go to hell. And the best of us, even as Christians, fall short of the glory of God and need to be sanctified. There's not a one of us that has a right to look down our nose at anyone else or not receive anyone else that God has received. Aaron was selected by God. He didn't choose this. And his position elevated him, yet he couldn't even do the job God called him to do without killing a bull and shedding blood. And you and I, all of us, are the same way. We cannot be saved and we cannot serve God without the shedding of blood. Romans 3, verse 9, Paul says, What then? Are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, are all under sin. There's not a one of us closer to God than the other one without the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got to quit looking down on people, and we've got to quit looking out even at lost people and saying, oh, well, they'll probably never be saved. And for goodness sake, I am so sick of hearing Christian people in the church when there's somebody that's not doing right, and they say, well, they're probably not saved. Who made you the judge, number one? And number two, if you really think that, why aren't you on your knees weeping for them? What's wrong with us? We walk around in pride thinking that we're better than other people. Well, I know I sin, but at least my sin is not. And all that kind of junk that we do, no wonder God's not blessing us the way that we want to be blessed. We've got to get this right. The best among us are no better than anyone else. And what else do we learn from this? The sacrifice of the Savior. When I read about that cow that was being killed, that bull... And I read about the gross stuff on the inside that had to be pulled out. And later on, we're going to read about some rams where they're going to wash their entrails and all of that. You think about all of that and you go, what? what? What's going on here? Why do you take some things and offer it on the altar and others have to be disposed of outside the camp? But the whole thing was disposed of. The whole bull was disposed of. What's the point in that? Because when Jesus died, he gave himself completely for our sins. He gave his body to be beaten and nailed on the cross. He gave his soul, his mind, will, and emotions to the Lord in the garden when he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. 
And he gave his spirit to the Lord when, after he said, it is finished, after he paid for our sin debt, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was a total sacrifice. Just like every part of that bull was to be used or burned or sacrificed, every part of Jesus. When Jesus gave himself, he gave his all for you. He gave his all for you as a believer. Every part of him was submitted to God. Every part of him suffered. Every part of him. Can you imagine what it must have been like when the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is nailed to a cross? Was he physically in pain? Oh, you bet he was. You can't even imagine what the death of the cross was like. That's why it says in Philippians 2, he humbled himself and was obedient unto death. And then Paul adds, even the death of the cross, because that was the unthinkable, unbearable death that nobody wanted, and yet Jesus chose it for himself. You think about the Lord Jesus, and you think about him humbling himself and emptying himself. You think about everything that that means, and you think about why he did that. For the glory of his Father in obedience to the plan and for the salvation of sinners like you and like me. And it wasn't a casual offering. It wasn't a partial offering. I mean, can you imagine if uh, the Father said, I need a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for my sin. And Jesus saying, how about a finger? I could spare a finger. How about something like that? How about if you just draw some blood? If it's by blood, how about if you just draw some blood out and, and do that? How, how, how about that? Would that work? No. No. Because sin permeates all of us, doesn't it? It affects our body. That's why we have sickness. That's why we die. The wages of sin is death. It affects our mind, the way we think. We're corrupt. It affects our decisions. We choose the wrong things. We're sinners by nature and by choice. Never forget that. And it also corrupts even our emotions, the way that we feel. Sin brings pleasure for a season. Then comes the depression. Then comes the melancholy. Then comes the guilt. Then comes the shame. And it comes upon us like a tsunami, doesn't it? You think about how it affects us spiritually. It affects our walk with God. It affects our faith. It affects our confidence in the Word of God. All of these things are affected because sin affects all of us. And before Christ, we are actually spiritually D-E-A-D, dead in trespasses and sins. No wonder Jesus wept when he was at the tomb of Lazarus. It wasn't because he didn't know what he was getting ready to do. It's because his heart was broken over the effects of a sin. Go to a cemetery and stand there and look around at all of the effects of sin and get the heart of compassion that Jesus has. And so Jesus looked and he said, If sin affects all of the person of a sinner, body, soul, and spirit, then I will give myself body, soul, and spirit as a sacrifice to pay for their sins. And it, after all, my friends, is the only sacrifice that God will accept and the only sacrifice that doesn't need a booster shot, the only sacrifice that doesn't need any help later on. It is good for time and eternity. He did it once and he did it for all. And the Bible says in Hebrews 7, 27, He has no need... 
like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did not, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And how much of himself did he give to his father? All. How much did he give for his sheep? It's the only case you've ever heard. Sometimes sheep die for the shepherd, but the shepherd dying for the sheep? And the shepherd, Jesus Christ, how much did he give to pay for your sin? He gave all in order that he might pay for all of your sins, past, present, and future. And he does all of that out of his grace, out of his mercy, and out of his love. So we look at this story and we look at what's happening and we see some things here. Things that are vitally important for us to learn, for us to understand, and even more, for us to live by. So as you take these things and as you think upon them, I hope you'll go further with it even than I did in this time this morning. And think about your magnificent Savior who took away the need for you to do this stuff that we find in the Old Testament. He did it for you. It's paid for in full. And then think about all of the principles that are here that affect our relationships, that affect our attitude, that affect the way that we live, and that have an effect on the way that we affect other people. And look at that and say, Lord, by your grace, teach me, lead me, sanctify me, so that I can be holy as you are holy. And what a testimony that would be to other believers, especially baby Christians. And what a testimony that would be before a lost and dying world that can't figure anything out. We've got to be holy and we've got to be the people of God. And God is very serious about that. Heavenly Father, as we finish this up, we ask you to forgive us for being so nonchalant and casual about everything. About everything. Sometimes it shows up on the outside. And sometimes it's a mental thing, a mental attitude sin. We may even have our quiet time every single day. But by 10 o'clock we can't remember what we read because we didn't really pay that much attention to it. Or we have our quiet time or we go to church or Sunday school and then violate the very things we said amen to, the very things that we have sung about because we really didn't care and we really didn't listen. It tells us a lot about ourselves. It tells us a lot about our walk with you. It tells us a lot about our love for you and our love for other people when we are just stubbornly going to do what we want to do. Oh God, forgive us. And Jesus, thank you for dying for that. And thank you that for those of us in Christ, the Father turned his back upon Jesus so we would never turn his back upon us. Thank you for that. Now, in your love, make us what we ought to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless. All right, just a few things. Uh, tomorrow is a Mission 405 Monday. Be there.